All right, you hear the guys and I sing, and then you guys echo. I will worship with all of my heart. desire is to pour worship into something or someone. Lord, may it be you and you alone. Lord, we pray that we would give all of our attention, all the glory and honor and power that is due your great name, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth today. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to start our service with yet another baptism, just a witness of somebody who has said, I want to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. May we all have that commitment. Lord Jesus, we pray in, in, in your name today. Amen. Well, good morning. It's a blessing to greet you from baptismal waters once again. Amen. Which is a blessing. This is Brianna Schroeder, and she said to me last week after the service that she also needed to follow in obedience when it comes to baptism, something that's been on her heart and mind. And I just thank the Lord for her obedience. And our church needs to be in the mode of disciple-making obedience. And the very first step 
is to trust the Lord and identify with Him, trust Him as Lord. And that first next step, of course, is baptism. So we pray as a church that this will be a step of obedience in Brianna's life that will lead to many more obedient steps in her life. Amen? Brianna, upon your profession of faith and coming to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. For we are buried with Christ through baptism, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Praise the Lord. Well, it's always uh, our great privilege to welcome guests. Maybe you're a first or second time uh, guest with us today. We would love to know who you are. And so I have an example right here, I think. Yeah, this little connection card, if you would grab one of these and fill that out and put that in the offering plate a little bit later in the, at the end of the service, actually. And then um, we would uh, be so honored if you would do that for us. For the rest of us, maybe you have a prayer request. And we would love to hear that, and we will pray for those. Uh, the staff and pastor, will we do that every Tuesday morning, so please be sure and, and drop that in the offering plate, and we will uh, pray for those. Uh, happy Father's Day, by the way. And uh, so, guys, I hope, and everybody, really, uh, these songs apply to us all, obviously, but there, there are some characteristics of God the Father in these songs that we're going to sing that we can take and we can learn from. Amen? And, and so let's, uh, let's sing these together with Father's Day in mind, all right?
of things yet to come. There is one born for our salvation, Jesus. There is a light that overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever
go on to the next song, let me just say, God bless you for those who said, um, my Savior too quick. <laughs> Messiah. Real, I'm serious. If you don't know the song, you're just praising God. You just want to get on to my Savior. Amen. God bless you. You're worshipers. God bless you. Let's continue. Deeper 
Well, Dad's in an age where the world is trying to tell us they've got a new way to be a godly man. You say thanks, but no thanks. I've, I've already got the way. Amen? Let's read from what that says from 1 Timothy 6. Let's read together. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, truly life. Let's be sure that we're building our life on the firm foundation. Oh, 
we've been praising the Lord. Be careful here because now we're making a commitment to God. Let's say it together. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. our prayer just now. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you God's people said, amen. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Today I want to talk to you about a primer for godly parenting. Uh, I think I'm safe in saying that, under, saying this, underscore think, that God has helped me some, underscore some, in this area of parenting over the years, especially as it relates to three things, law, gospel, and wisdom. Now think about those three things, law, gospel, and wisdom. Now, a primer is a small introduction to a huge subject. That's what it really is. So it is a reminder this morning to a huge subject of parenting, but it's also a reminder because some of our parents have little babies. They have young children that need to hear about law, gospel, and wisdom when it comes to parenting. Would you all not agree that with that? We all need for God to give us a burden 
for young parents. This is a very difficult day. Is it not? And I'm speaking day, not in the sense of right now on Father's Day, but living in our day. We all need to pray that God would give us, and I will say this to you, a burden is something God gives you, right? So we all need a burden for young parents, and I think the burden goes beyond just making sure that our parents know biblically what they ought to do. I think it goes beyond that. Please know that what I'm about to say is not meant to be an offense to anyone, but young parents often fall into the trap of thinking that now that they have children, they know everything. I was there. I was like, one child, two child, I got this, right? Don't try to tell me how to raise my kids, and we get very, very defensive. But let me give you some wisdom today. You can't afford to act that way or think like that as a young parent. You cannot afford to do that. Even as an older parent, we all need to be open to what God has to teach us in any stage of our parenting life. Woe to the parent who may think, wow, I've got three children. I've got this mastered. Look at me closely. God will mock your arrogance because you have kids. And the verdict is out on every one of them to this day. Truth be known, it's out on us. Paul says, may I basically keep the focus on Christ that I would not be a castaway. Everybody in this room has that possible trajectory because of the flesh, right? And so, just a reminder that God will mock our arrogance when we come to the place where we think we can't learn anything about parenting. So, three words I want to build this sermon around. Law, gospel, and wisdom. And as I preach this sermon, understand that I'm in the trenches with you as a parent. I'm not perfect. I blow it. I, I, I don't have a, a monopoly uh, with the Lord to be able to say, God, do everything you can possibly do in spite of me. You know, it's just, it's parenting, right? It is. However, I've learned a few things, and the truth is the truth no matter what we want to bring to the table today. So here's the first way I want to explain law. Establish the lordship and authority of Christ over all of life in your family, right? We need to establish this, and this is what I mean by law. When I say law, uh, I think you need to, to, all parents that are Christians need to rec recognize and establish God's lordship over all of life and especially the family. So when I say law, I'm not strictly speaking in terms of the Ten Commandments or the glorious teaching on the covenant. I want you to think ultimately of the one who gave the law, right? God has all authority. Jesus said this, did he not? All authority has been given to me. So when you think about law and lordship, I'm speaking in the sense of this family falls under and is established under Almighty God who is in control of all things and has all authority. That's the way we need to look at this. Okay? So we raise our children... And as we do so, we conscientiously embrace the fact that God's laws are our laws. Does that make sense? We have to do this as parents. Consider with me Joshua 24, 15. Uh, what does the text say? And if it is evil in your eyes, look at it, to serve the Lord, choose 
you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve. And that word serve means not just actually reaching out to do something, but you live your life under the establishment, under the order that God Almighty is sovereign and ruler. And so we submit ourselves to that. I mean, that's a good place for all of us fathers to be today, to say and remind our families, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So as husbands and fathers, it is our primary responsibility to make sure that God's lordship is recognized, established, and obeyed in our families. Therefore, we are a home that lives in submission to God's divine authority. And how is that authority revealed? In his word. That's, that's, what, that's how he speaks to us. So please reject the notion that if my children are not believers, I can't teach them God's law. And I can't teach them God's authority over life. Folks, that kind of thinking is a false application of the gospel. Your children come into this world under your authority, which God Almighty has appointed that authority. So, what does this mean? It means that whether believer or not, you are required by God, children, to obey your parents. Whether you're a believer or not, you are required by God to obey your parents. It's given as the fifth commandment. Lest y'all, have, It's been a while since you checked that one out, right? Uh, it is required. So, Are there some implications of this lordship over our homes? If we say, yes, we're going to acknowledge that God Almighty rules the world, that he created us, he he made the family, we have to stop and say, okay, what will those implications look like in family life? Number one, because we recognize God's lordship over every area of life, we will be determined to be a God-centered home, not a child-centered home. Uh Uh-oh. Relax. I know some of your blood just went up. Let me give you some descriptions of a child-centered home, and I can be just as guilty as you are. The idea of a child-centered home is that the child or the children is at the center of the home, and they are the priority. All right, hold on. Did you know that you can love your children too much? If you love them in the wrong way. You can love your children too much. In fact, if you read the Bible, you'll find out that the marriage is to come before the children. The preeminent of all human relationships is not a father-son or a father-daughter or a mother-son, mother-daughter. It is the husband and the wife. Thus, the axis of our entire nation has turned upon that. Whatever happened to that preeminent relationship that God said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. Folks, that's number one. That is the preeminent of all human relationships. So, in a child-centered home, there is an inordinate amount of love placed upon the child so that if the child comes before the marriage, it has to be called a child-centered home. Now, maybe you've never heard this kind of talk from a preacher, but I learned something a long time ago. Truth is truth. And many preachers may not talk about truth, but I must. 
Why? Because I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. And I am a little wiser than I used to be. I'm 50. Now, that's old to me. But there's others in this church that, yeah, my 99 and 100-year-old sisters out there are thinking, yeah, right, 50 years old, what is that? Well, okay, now here's the deal. Um, If you've spent the entirety of your family life making more of your children than your spouse, I want to remind you of something. Your kids are going to be gone one day. And you're going to look at one another and you're going to say, do we even know one another? You can laugh, but it's true. That's exactly what's going to happen, okay? What do we do now that we have an empty nest? And if you haven't loved your wife as Christ loved the church, and wives, if you have not submitted unto the lordship created by Christ in the husband being the head, then we're going to be in trouble down the line. You know this, don't you? Some of you have lived it out. You can stand up and give me a testimony about it. Next, if the decisions about money put the child before the Lord, notice I said before the Lord, and the well-being of the household, you have a child-centered home. How many of us can wear this? Not identify, but can we wear this? Because we oftentimes are guilty of this. It's easy to think that in your home is growing up the next Chipper Jones. Let me, let me park in Cardinal Land. Or the next Molina. It's easy for us to think that we're raising the next LeBron James. Or what's the gymnast's name? Biles? I mean, she can flip out of sight in about three minutes. It's unbelievable the kind of talent and athlete that she is. But if we break the bank and rob our God with the justification that one day down the line we'll, we'll give our time and energy back to the church and we'll start tithing one day. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we're not honoring God with that. We're not. Because, again, we're submitting, unto the, we're submitting ourselves to God and His authority. Uh, I hate to break the, new, the news to you, but if that's what we're doing, that's a child-centered home. If we're breaking the bank, if, if we take all of our time and energy away from the church of the living God and the things of God to focus on anything else, as a primary thing, we're missing the mark. Would you all not agree with me? So, okay. I know some of our children around this church are extremely talented in sports. And I get that. Uh, who doesn't want their kid to get a scholarship in college and go for free? Well, in Joe Biden's world, we might go for free anyway, right? It's coming. It's a possibility. I get it, right? But if we are gone every Sunday, look, I have to be transparent. My son's sitting right out there with a ball uniform on. He had a game this morning at 9 o'clock. That is stupid. It is stupid. Think about that. Now, and my kid has to wrestle with the fact that he wants to be in church But we don't understand the clarion call for us. And it can't just be the preacher. We need to all, as parents, go up to them and say, We are not playing on Sunday. Please, listen to us. We can see the trajectory in our kids. We know what's going on here. Right? So, more than me just bashing you and me, let this be a clarion call. I I remember when Timothy, the first time he ever 
went on a Sunday. It was an all-star thing. And I had to leave Natalie down in, whew, scary place, down in South Carolina, way down there. Rough hotel. Uh, at, that was the first time. And I thought, well, you know what? Let's don't wave the flag of legalism. One Sunday's not going to hurt a lot. But boy, howdy, folks. Every tournament, soccer, basketball, baseball, every single one of them's on Sunday, and they never bat an eye. We need to at least say to our children, that cannot be our priority. Am I getting anywhere? We, we have to, folks. We have to be honest and say this can't be right. So here's what I would say. If it is a general rule that sports and entertainment take precedent over assembling with God's people to worship the king on the Lord's day because you want to keep your kids happy, then that's a child-centered home. No amens? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I know I'm on a bad list now. I get it. But I've got to speak the truth. I'm not talking to you standing aloof from it. I, I know what this is like. I've been there. Somebody has to be willing to say it. And I don't mind saying it, okay? The Lord's Day has to have the priority in a Christian family. And you say, well, it's just another day. No, it is not. I challenge you. Study the Word of God and learn about the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. We, we, need, we need a clarion call in our church to all the sports people to say to them, we're demanding, we're requesting strongly that we think about this on Sunday, right? Uh, the schools do better. I don't think there's any school games on Sunday. I look forward to ninth grade. I look forward to ninth grade for my kid. Get them out of there so that they can concentrate on things that really, really matter. Okay, now, God and God's will as revealed in Scripture comes first in everything, right? The entire family lives under the Lordship of Christ. Marriage comes before the children. Church life needs to be central. Servanthood needs to be taught. Now, there's no guarantee when you teach servanthood that it's going to come out in your kids, right? We get this. We know so, but we still have to do it. Uh, I was at the ball field yesterday. And I watched as kids lined up and held a water hose over their shoulder as their coach got the field ready. You ever seen them do this? They're stretched out and the coach is holding the hose. And there's about five, I don't know why that hose is so heavy, but it must be. But five or six kids are having it on the shoulder to help the coach. do. I thought to myself, Lord God, if we could just get this kind of cooperation from our youth and kids in the church, what we could do with the kingdom. What we could we do if we had those kind of servants in the church? But man, we'll hold the hose. I, just think about this. You know what delights my heart more than anything? To see our teenagers giving out food in Guatemala. Sharing their life for the good of others. Look, I know there's a balance, but just hear the call that there's something wrong in America. And look at ourselves. Just think about this for a moment. So... Let's teach our kids to be servants of Christ. You guys and gals do realize that the cultural mentality of entitlement is going right on to the next generation. And they think that you actually owe them something simply because they breathe. And folks, that is not true. That is not true. You know, folks, we can say no as parents. And you don't even have to explain it. Right? We can just say, no, they don't have to have the newest Xbox. They can wear old shoes. Amen? There are certain things that we can do as parents. So, 
in our circles where there is a major emphasis upon domestic roles and family, which I think is a wonderful thing, okay? However, hear this. There is also an insidious temptation to make the family more important than Christ. So just watch out for it. Just watch out for it, okay? Because of God's lordship in our homes, we will require obedience from our children. That's number two, under submission. Okay, the fifth commandment still applies, doesn't it? I know the world is progressive. I know uh, they didn't even want to call Father's Day Father's Day today. It was called Person's Day to some. I'm serious. You can't even be called an alderman anymore in Illinois if this goes through. That's even out. Okay? But folks, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Okay? And the Bible would remind us in the Old Testament that that's the first commandment with a promise. That your days may be long upon the face of the earth. It's a promise given. So, word of caution. We need to make a clear distinction between God's laws and your household laws. They're not always the same, right? You don't want your kids to think that everything that comes out of your mouth is divinely sanctioned. Uh, We called my wife and all the kids that grew up in my home, which were many of them, her nickname is Sarge. And I'm not kidding. She may be little... And sweet, but she's Sarge, right? And so she has household rules. She has things that, that are not necessarily divinely sanctioned. So we need to make sure our kids know what those are. And as we require obedience, we should also discipline appropriately and redemptively. Amen? So if you're going to have standards in the home that's informed by the law of God, then a law or standard of righteousness that is broken has to have a penalty. If it doesn't, it's not a law or standard at all. That making sense? So, call me old school, but I believe wholeheartedly in spanking. As a matter of fact, Natalie and I got pretty doggone good at it. I mean, my kids will walk by and go. I mean, when the Timothy, poor little fella, I mean, we were young parents and we thought everything he did, we got to spank him. And then we learned a little more. But let me remind you of the principles of the Word of God, okay? Proverbs 13, 24. Some of you are thinking, wow, our pastor's usually right in the text the whole time, and this is only the second time we've hit it. Well, I'm trying to hit you with a shotgun this morning. I hope you don't mind. Chapter 13, verse 24. Listen, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 13, 24. Okay, 22, 15. This is the word of the Lord, 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 29:15. And I'm reading just the highlights. There are many, many more in Proverbs. 29:15. The Bible says, "The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother." So. Learn how to discipline your kids correctly. And here's the deal. We need to take it seriously. Uh, There is a book that I would refer you to. It's called Withhold Not Correction by Bruce Ray. I think it is very good and balanced. You know, folks, there is certainly a proper way to spank. But if you spank in public today, you may go to jail. So you need to be extremely careful. 
I'm not sure that a brush with a limp wrist across a diapered buttocks is going to get their attention. Seriously. I don't think that's going to work. So young parents, if you need lessons, there's a kid in our church named Owen Stryker. And he has volunteered to let me demonstrate to you how to give an appropriate spanking. Amen? Where is Owen? Children's church. Golly. I love that kid. Love to pick on him. Well, I guess he bailed out, did he not? He's not going to have a part of that. Okay. We must require obedience, right? We don't want a, Christ, we don't want a child-centered home, but a Christ-centered home. We have to require obedience. We need to recognize, thirdly, that God's leadership over our home means that we worship God in family worship. I have to confess that my wife is way better at this than me. When I get to around 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, my mind just completely goes out. Tough, right? Y'all know how it is to get to the end of the day. My wife is to be commended for this, but still there's a lot of up and downs in our family worship, right? And what does this mean? Well... If you've got kids that are out driving now and they come home at different times, I get it. It's a whole lot harder. But when they're little and they can't drive away from you and they are in your home, that's the time to do it. Read a good Bible story. Sing a good, solid hymn and pray. That's not that hard. This is an opportunity to instill the Word of God into them. And folks, let me remind you, this is true if they're regenerate or unregenerate. I'll read a verse in a few minutes that proves this to you. But even if, they're, if they've not made a profession of faith and they're four or five, six, seven years of age, memorizing Scripture is a huge, huge deal for them, right? Put the biblical narratives of the Old Testament into them in a Christ-centered way, not moralism, right? So even, they are, even if they are unregenerate, that raw data in family worship is put into their mind. And when they get regenerate, there's always this frame of reference in their hard drive that they begin to traffic in as they live for Christ. Such as Timothy was taught by Eunice and Lois, and teach, the teaching of the word made him wise unto salvation. Okay, y'all had enough of God's lordship over our family? Take a deep breath and say, right? Okay, number two. Live a model, live and model the gospel to your children. You know, we are called to do this as parents, right? To live and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, let's flip over to 2 Timothy. Just two passages there that I want to call your attention to. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. And now we have to ask the question, how did it get there? Well, good. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, listen. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the, how did the faith get there? sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. That needs to be our life. I mean, kids, you might be raised by your grandmother and your mother today. It may be a single parent that you're, that you're here with. Or mom and dad both are in the home. But ladies and gentlemen, do you see how important it is to drum the gospel into your children? 
We need gospel-centered homes. If we only teach them moral stories and moral values, you know what moral values would be? Republicans good, Democrats evil. That's moral values, okay? I, I get the platform, all right? But if I, that's all you do, then you're going to end up with thoughts about the gospel that are not biblical thoughts, and they're going to reject the gospel just like they reject your politics. So make sure the gospel is the gospel and not politics. That makes sense? So, don't confuse them. Listen, church family, drum the gospel into your kids. Drum in the fact that apart from spiritual life given by Christ Jesus the Lord, they have black hearts. Drum into them the fact that the reason they do what they do is because they're sinners from birth. Drum into them the fact that of the truth of Jesus Christ and that he is the only way. And he's the only means of forgiveness and eternal life. Teach your kids about the cross. Hallelujah. Teach them about the cross. Teach them about the resurrection. Teach them about the doctrine of salvation. Teach them about faith and repentance. Drum the gospel into your children. Make the main thing the main thing when you're teaching your kids. Make sure you take your kids to a church where the gospel is preached. And this is a big thing nowadays to jump to the newest and most fashionable and the things they have to offer. I get that. But you're wrong if you think that all churches are the same. Because they are not. You're, you're totally missing the mark if you think every church on every corner is the same. And if you attach yourself to a church that doesn't teach the word of God, that doesn't preach the gospel, then you're going to end up doing more damage control with your kids than you could have ever imagined. Model the gospel. Live it. Live out the implications. One of the best ways to model the gospel is when you sin against your son and daughter, ask forgiveness for it. Don't look at me so spiritual because every one of you have sinned against your kids. You have, haven't you? But when you do, how do you model the gospel that God forgives sinners, which all of us are imperfect and need to be saved, moms and dads and kids? How do you model that? Well, if you do something that needs forgiveness for, then you ought to be confessing it, right? Dads and moms can fall into this very easily. But moms and dads are sinners too. And we sin against our children. We need to hear daddy say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Amen? Amen? They need to hear that from us. How about your marriages? Doesn't God's word teach us that our marriages are to be a reflection of Christ's love for his church? Which is the gospel? Does our marriages convey to our children the gospel? Boy, it's quiet in here. Are you just processing what I'm saying? Are you mad at me? I can't really tell, right? Seriously. Uh, they do. We need for our marriages to be a demonstration of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it's supposed to be a demonstration to the world, too, about salvation. We also need to let our kids see the gospel manifested in us by our relationship to the church. Right? If I hadn't hurt your feelings already, can I get you one more? One of the most harmful things that parents do, and you may do it inadvertently, is you go home from church on Sunday and you talk bad about the people of your church in front of your kids. Folks, do you all know how detrimental that is? Do you know what you're doing to that kid? 
If you do this, don't be surprised when your kids, when they begin to drive, they think, why do I want to go down there and waste a bunch of time with people mom and dad don't like and listen to a guy preach that they don't believe? How do you think that's going to make that child think? And we wonder why kids go off to college and never come back to church. We very well are the biggest problem. All of us. Right? Let's be honest. So, complaining about your church to your kids is about one of the most surefire ways to get your kids to reject the faith. Be careful, folks. We need to continually point our kids to Jesus as well. Don't we? A great article for you to read. It was out years ago. His name is Abraham Piper. He's the son of John Piper. He went absolutely AWOL. Riotous living. Everything you could imagine. And he starts off his article with the fact that what did, what did his mom and dad do to him? They didn't beat him over the head every day and, and rebuke him for his lifestyle and everything. They pointed the kid to Jesus and God's forgiveness. Abraham Piper begins that lesson article with they pointed me to Jesus and he ends it by saying they pointed me to Jesus folks let's y'all hadn't figured this out if Jesus doesn't work nothing's going to happen right we need the Lord Jesus Christ to work in the lives of our children so when we discipline our kids we need to do it redemptively discipline them in a way where we say yes there's consequences to your disobedience but then point them to Jesus amen my child is so well behaved, preacher, I, I don't have opportunities to point them to Christ. Well, congratulations, you've got a Pharisee in the making. <laughs> right? What, what could we say about compliant children? There are some of those. I see them around our church. They're just like, mom says, do this. They're like, yay! And they just take off and they do it. You know, sometimes you have compliant children like that. So... How do you look for opportunities to, to point a compliant child that always obeys you to Christ and the fact that they need a Savior? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I think if you're paying attention to that compliant child, he or she has picked up on something. If they obey you, it pleases mom and dad. So they're going to do it every time to please you. Why? To be on your good side. And then the kid is going to begin to think, I'm a lot better than those other two or three. And then you make the mistake by saying, why can't you just obey like so-and-so? And then before long, that child's walking around with phylacteries on its wrist and on its forehead and got tassels in their robe and they're a Pharisee in the making. I've got news for you. Not head naughty children need Jesus and compliant kids need Jesus. And just because your kids obey you does not mean that they're right with God. We need to teach. We need to think about those moments with compliant and naughty children to point them to Jesus Christ. Okay, one more. Teach your children wisdom. All right? Teach your children wisdom. By the way, when it comes to obedience, I think I have to say this uh, because it's a struggle that we're all going to have. And let me, this is bootleg preaching. I actually thought about this on the way in. Have you need, Natalie told me not to do this, but I can't help it. Matthew West has a new song. Modest is hottest. <laughs> and it talks about we need to be a little bit more Amish and less Kardashian. You know, truth well taken, right? So I thought about that as a father, and I thought about the one daughter God gave me. Whew! Amen? And raising girls. And so I, I sent Elena a text 
before I came in here. And I said, Elena, in light of growing up in our home, what are you going to tell my granddaughter about how she should dress? You're talking about blessing a father. Here's what she says. I will tell Logan that when we are pursuing holiness, as our God is holy, what we put on our bodies matters in the pursuit of holiness. How we dress reflects our desire for holiness and our mindset. I said, honey, you need to write a book. She was sitting in Sunday school. I don't know if she read that from somebody else or what. But I thought, to God be the glory. Uh, I can't tell you how many times it was, no, you're not going out of here like that. And then Timothy jumped on, nope, you're not going out of here like that. You know, I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was an effort. Then Jesse's sitting back there, and he'd be like, uh, you can't go out there. You know, I mean, it's, it's just the way it was. But I am so thankful that if you keep pouring in the truth, by the way, they're going to be parents one day. They are going to be parents. All right, teach them wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom according to Proverbs 1-7? The beginning of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. So we have this responsibility to teach wisdom. Now notice, I said law, gospel, wisdom. It's easy for us to think, well, if my kid is not saved, then what good is it to me to give them wisdom? And I get it. All of wisdom is tied up in Jesus Christ, right? All the treasures of wisdom are in him. But folks, you can't just throw up your hands and not give your kids advice and wisdom just simply because they deny the faith. Why? Because they've got to live life. And you still want your kid to have wisdom that's given to them by the Lord. And yes, they, it's paramount that they know Jesus. But however, you've got a parental responsibility that never goes away to give them wisdom. And how many times do you hear Solomon say, My son, incline your ear to hear. So what you have in Proverbs is a father giving instructions to a son, which is wisdom, and by extension to daughters. So there is a sense where we have a major responsibility, not only to establish Christ's lordship in the home and to model the gospel, but we also need to take seriously our responsibility to give our children wisdom. To be sure, it all falls under the fear of the Lord, It has to be rooted in our relationship with Christ, but we still have to be willing to give them wisdom. So, this is true whether they profess Christ or not. Okay, we've got this responsibility. You say, well, how, what can we do? Can I give you one example? Say your daughter or son won't get out of the bed in the morning to go to school. Sluggard! Right? Lazy? You could say, well, let's do a Bible lesson on laziness and you can say this looks like you all right little four-year-old five-year-old whatever that might be Proverbs 6 10 through 11 I'm going to go fast because of time here's some wisdom a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and won't like and won't like an armed man what's that mean Well, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands, that's doing your job carefully with perseverance and fortitude, brings wealth. By extension, if you can't get out of the bed now, are you going to get out of the bed to go to work one day? Right? How about Proverbs 13.4? The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent 
is richly supplied. Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Why am I saying all this? Because if we're not careful, we're going to raise a generation of elitists that are absolutely sluggards and lazy if we're not already there. Proverbs 26, 14. I love this one. As a door turns on its hinges. I think about the teenagers that are 15, 16, 17 that get out of bed every day at 12. The sluggard is like a door turning on its hinges. To the other side. To the other. So does a sluggard on his bed. In other words, if you want to grow up and be a sluggard, then get ready to be homeless. Bag lady. You'll be able to put everything you own in one shopping cart. Now, will that get a five, six, seven-year-old's attention? I bet they go, I don't want to be that. Well, that's just wisdom. That's not directly gospel-centered, although I do believe if you're saved by grace through faith, you won't be lazy, right? However, that's just wisdom that we need to hear. Does the Proverbs have other wisdom that we need to think about? Does the Bible in Proverbs teach us about working hard? Yes, wisdom. Does it teach us about borrowing money? And being careful, does it teach us about surety? Right? It teaches us wisdom. Does it have something to say about sex? You better believe it. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are all warnings from a father to a son, by extension daughters, to stay away from sexually immoral people because they will ruin your life. That's wisdom given from God. So the Proverbs teach us that there is a wise way for us to use our words as well. The foolish... There's a foolish way to use our words, and there is a right way to use them. So practical advice. Parents, it's our responsibility to give them wisdom. Let the lordship of Christ be the predominant theme in your home. Let the aroma of the gospel be all over your home. But don't fail to give them wisdom. Teach them wisdom so that they grow up as wise people and not fools and mockers and scoffers. That's what Proverbs calls people who are not of the truth. As a father today, uh, I thought about a reflection of my life and where I am. And folks, a hymn kind of does it for me. It's called, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of a God who would love me and save me. Do you all agree? The song, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus, says this, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned and unclean. Second verse, for me it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood from mine. Unbelievable. Listen to this one. He took my sins and my sorrows and made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Listen to this verse. When with the ransom in glory, I knew I couldn't sing this one without crying, so I'm talking this. His face I at last shall see, twill be my joy. Through the ages to sing of his love for me. Let's sing the chorus. How marvelous, 
How wonderful and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. You may be a father here today, and I, I gave a ton of information, and you're like, you know what? It's kind of hitting deaf ears. I'm not getting it. Well, maybe it's because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. It means a lot to know the author of the Scripture. And maybe it is today that I I give you that song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene because our God can save anybody, no matter what your path looks like. Amen? Maybe there's a father here today that needs to trust Jesus. Repent of your sins, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and be saved. Maybe there's a mom like that. Maybe there's a child that says, you know what, Pastor? I, I haven't been uh, an obedient kid to my parents. Folks, I'm, look, kids, I'm telling you, if you're not obeying God if you're not obeying your parents. Right? It's just, you, you're just not. So think about how serious that is in your own life. Uh, the altar is open. Brother Dave is going to come and lead us. And here, here we go. Let's stand and sing. Let's sing this hymn together that reminds us that once again we look upon what Jesus has done for us. Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's hey, listen. Together. If the Lord of glory can hang publicly in front of thousands and give his life for you, then you can make a commitment to him that's public. Let's sing. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, I'm in that place once again, and I'm in that place once again. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once again I thank you, once again I pour out my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. I'm going to ask David to sing the next part because I like it. All right, here it is. Next verse. Now you are exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens. One day I'll bow, but for now I marvel at your saving grace. I'm in that place once again. Oh, I'm in that place once again. Once again. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Once 
stand before you today and tell you that they know Jesus as their Lord. They've fallen believers baptism. They want to reunite with this church and church membership. Amen. Amen. God be the glory. All right. So go back there with Chris. Y'all probably know him, don't you? Oh, okay. What's the rest of the story? No. All right. (laughs) Welcome back there with him and I want folks to greet y'all. Glad to have y'all. Look, one more verse, okay? Because I I hate to stop when a commitment's just been made. Just do the course. Okay. God is moving your heart to Thank you for the cross. make a decision. Do so. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my Praise the Lord. I hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, I know my family's got this big plan for me today on Father's Day. No, I don't know what it is, sure enough. I I tell you all the time, Bass Pro Shop card make me happy all the time, right? (laughs) That's all I need is one of those, and I'm good to go. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Uh, I'll be, Natalie and I will leave for vacation tomorrow down at Dolphin Island. They just had a tropical depression. We think we're going to take it out of there and move it away so we can go. But pray for us as we travel. And uh, Brother James, pray for him this week. Uh, we're, we're thankful that we have a military chaplain in our church. Amen. And he serves our country. And uh, we praise the Lord for it. Uh, he is education slash uh, everything running in the office for our church. And we appreciate him. He's going to be bringing the message next Sunday morning. Y'all pray for him. Amen. All right. Look forward to the fourth. Uh, I'll preach something potentially on the Word of God and... Politics, maybe, how that meshes, okay? Uh, Or what your thought processes may need to be after you read the scripture, right? Something, okay? But on the 11th, I'm back in Ephesians, all right? So y'all get ready for the grind because we're at four by grace, so you're saved through faith and that not of yourself. We'll preach and we'll try to finish Ephesians, all right? God bless y'all. Have a good day. Let's make this commitment once more before we leave. I will build. I will build my life upon your love.